Hey up and welcome to the strategy sessions. Andy Jarvis here, I'm your host and here to help talk you through the next 50-55 minutes of marketing discussion and debate. Today, the main guest is a German guy by the name of Aris Stomatis. Um, I tell you all about where I met Aris, well, I haven't actually met him um, on the video, but uh, suffice to say, um, the outfits are different today. If you are watching on YouTube, and I know not many people do, and that's fine, um, you're in for a treat. So if you're only listening to the audio, at some point, just go and have a look on YouTube because I'm wearing something I don't typically wear, not a huge amount anyway, um, maybe three times a year. And it's all Aris's fault because he talks about uh, he is a huge fan of wearing a tie. So I thought, you know what? Got to have some standards. I'm going to have a tie on as well. Obviously, for this intro, didn't bother. Just went with an orangey yellow jumper. However, dive in and have a listen. Um, it's coming up shortly because Aris is a brilliant thinker, um, really different background to a lot of strategists and a lot of people who get into um, advertising as an industry. I'm really, really interesting to listen to. So he's coming up shortly. Um, but first, you've got a, a top tip coming. So are you ready for it? It's a T-O-P-T-I-P. T-O-P-T-I-P. Um, we didn't get a top tip from Aris. It was just the way the interview went. We, we didn't get one. So uh, I thought, I know, I'll get a guest, somebody else to do one. And then life took over and I forgot. So I thought, I'm going to give the top tip today. Um, so here's the top tip from Andy Jarvis. Um, it's coming up to Black Friday. If you haven't started planning for Black Friday yet, you're probably a little bit too late. But if you wanted a few last minute tips, go back and listen to the Black Friday episode with Luke Carthy from last year. Luke gives a couple of great last minute tips of things you can do to really try and make the most of Black Friday, even if you're a little bit late and behind the curve on this. So go and have a listen to that. There's a link in the show notes. You can find it there. Check out it. Check out Luke's advice. Perfect for e-commerce businesses. So yeah, there you go. There's my T-O-P-T-I-P. Enough singing. Time to have a listen to Aris and to see what he has to say about um, strategy, really. That's what we get into. We geek out on it. And just as a last um, sales pitch before we do, digital marketing strategy course with the University of Varsa. Again, link in the show notes. If you're in here because you're interested in strategy and you want to find out more, go and check this course out. €249. Euro. You wouldn't want to miss it. Anyway, here we go. Aris. So today, my guest for the strategy sessions is Aris Stamatis. Um, they say never meet your heroes. And uh, I think that's rubbish because today I am meeting one of mine. LinkedIn, if you are a regular user, can be a bit of a strange place. There's a lot of interesting people and a lot of people doing a lot of self-promotion. I think I'm one of them. And a lot of people trying to sell lots of things. Aris, I've met <laughs> via LinkedIn. And one of the reasons I say he's one of my heroes is Every time I get a notification that says Aris has left a comment, I know it's going to be brilliant and I know it's going to be insightful and I know it's going to add to the discussion. Um, so when I started planning season two of the podcast, I was like, who do I want on? Aris was one of those people. So I'm so pleased to have you on the show today. Aris, welcome to the strategy sessions. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the place is all mine. A bit embarrassing, but yeah. <laughs> Well, look, I, I didn't warn you about that, that introduction, so yeah. the pleasure is all mine. So th thank you for, for coming along today. So um, you, when we're planning this series of the, of the strategy sessions, one of the things I wanted to do is have more strategists on there, and, and that's what you do. Um, so before we talk about your career, let's just start with a really simple question. What does strategy mean to you? So, yeah, we, we talked about it a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I think 
to put it in very simple terms, it's uh, the things you do to achieve a goal. And um, that's um, that leads to the um, to a discussion. We we try to avoid it, but I think it's uh, it's necessary to to um, for the definition. The, there's a lot of discussion about um, is strategy different from execution. Is one thing is one thing strategy, the other thing is planning. Um, strategy versus tactics, and I think it's more or less all the same. Like um, <clears throat> if you have a good strategy, which means you know what you are doing to, to achieve something, um, you'll have both, you'll have planning in advance and then the execution. And I don't think you can really um, draw a line between it. So if you want to have a good strategy, you need a good plan, a good execution. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a, a plan, you'll still have a strategy because you'll be doing something uh, when you um, don't do anything and just have plans, you have basically nothing. It's not it's not a strategy. That's my personal definition. I know that people um, do draw a line between strategy. Um, there's another line between deliberate and agile strategy. I think it all comes down to what do you actually do? So, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think I have a view sometimes that, that this demarcation between strategy and tactics is pushed hardest by strategists. And I often think it comes back to the, the, the history of strategy, which is from the Greek as um, leader of the army, I think is the, the etymology of the word strategy. And I have a feeling a lot of strategists like this position of feeling of importance and leadership and things like that. So they, we like to say that our discipline is different and separate, and therefore we like to keep it apart from execution. But if you, yeah, I think yeah, if you I have think, that view, you just have a piece of paper, don't you? Is that, is that it? Yeah, it's a piece of paper. And I think um, if we talk about war and the Greek, uh, if you come up with a plan, everybody would be like, yeah, that's brilliant. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I think if you look at strategy, at the history of strategy and, and advertising, that maybe um, ex might explain why we try to make it a, a noble discipline that's how somewhat set apart from from execution because historically um advertising agencies didn't earn any money with uh, creativity they they took a commission for the media placement so they were that's why they are called agencies they sold ad inventory on behalf of uh, newspapers for example and um <clears throat> then they try to create some differentiation between the different agencies and that was creativity mm -hmm. and um, then um, they discovered uh, market research Ogilvy was very famous for using this and then uh, the next thing was um, there was quite a big change <clears throat> someone um, had the idea why do we work for a commission why don't we take fees we will still have uh, loads of money to earn and we can be cheaper than the other agencies. So the, the I think the, the strategy came up as a discipline to, to avoid the price price competition. Mm -hmm. So you had to add something and say, okay, I'm I'm not I might be uh, I'm not cheaper, <clears throat> but with us your money works harder because we have a strategy department that does all kinds of stuff, and um, so you don't have these 
weird genius coming up with um, some creative stuff, there's actually a strategic idea behind it. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, and um, <clears throat> you, you, you want to have a clear line between strategy and creativity because um, if you have the mad genius who's the creative guy, strategy has to be different. You can't have a mad professor that's very much like the creative. You need to have someone else. So um, I think that's why they insist on on uh, <clears throat> on this, yeah, on this border between the two disciplines. And mm -hmm. I think historically it hasn't been this way always. Um, there, there has been advertising before strategy. Uh, when you see Madman, um, they they are doing strategy all the time. But it's just um, like, okay, how do we tackle this? What's the problem? What what can we promise? What's really relevant? That's what Ogilvy does. And uh, in the end, um, if you focus on creativity, it, it, the strategy can give you some insights. But in the end, it's uh, you don't deliver the strategy with your ads. So uh, the the creators have to work for themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I don't think it's um, it's useful to have a have a line between the two disciplines or to have a. I think it might even lead to silos. Like you have a strategy, you present it to the client, and then you show the 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 ads or the, the the creative ideas you have, and the client goes like, "Okay, wh where do I find the strategy in the ads?" That's <laughs> yeah, and 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 the great ads, especially you 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 have to remember that the client, the, not the client, so the consumer never sees the strategy, right? So no. so the the two things have to work together. I, I often, um, in in very simplistic terms, describe to clients, strategy is where we're going, tactics is how we're going to get there. So if I said I was going to come to my strategy is to come to Hamburg to meet you, if I don't have any tactics then I'm still going to be sat here in Belfast. If yeah. I only have tactics, so I know I'm going to have to drive somewhere, I'm going to have to get a plane, I'm going to have to take a bus, then a train, that's wonderful, but I might end up in Munich. So, and I may, I've landed in the wrong place. So, but if you put both together and I have a strategy, where am I going to go? Hamburg to see Aris and the tactics, I'm going to drive to the airport, jump on a flight, the flight's going to send me here. We'll end up in the same coffee shop 18 hours later, having a coffee, doing this discussion in person. So those two things have to work together one's not more important than the other and, and yeah, there's even one guy uh klaus brandmeier and he's quite well known in germany he's a bit old school but he he worked a lot on on branding and strategy and uh, when he worked for clients on the on the company side he said i don't want my adver uh, advertising agency to to deliver anything on strategy because um in the end it's just the ad we don't deliver the strategy along with the, with the ad, so it has to work on itself. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them to waste any time. <laughs> <laughs> when you're paying them. I, I don't even want a presentation. Just give me the ads, if you like, put it in a magazine so I can see the, the context and that's it. Yeah. You touched about the presentation there. So I'm going to maybe ask you about that. When you present strategies to clients, how how long and involved is that presentation? Are, are you of the let's keep it short and sweet school or are you two hours of here's all the research and here's the reasons why or, or somewhere in between? I think it, it depends on the job and it depends on the client. Some clients like to have all the information 
um, sometimes they you present to a client who's not actually um, in charge, so he has to present, take your stuff and present it yeah. to someone else. And so, um, <clears throat> in order for for him not well her not to get lost, you need to provide some more more insights. And sometimes the job is too complicated to have just a, a very simple line. But sometimes um, it can be very simple. I've seen. For example, pitch decks from from different agencies for the mm -hmm. for the same uh, client, and um, <clears throat> one was very elaborate. Like this is our agency, this is what we do. They've worked for the same client in the past, so they had a kind of uh, reminder: see what great things we have done together. <laughs> and it was you were like 50, 60 slides in when when they came to the strategy and then the, the creative ideas and then there was uh, Whedon and Kennedy and they had like three or four slides maybe that that, that that's <laughs> music I think to my ears that they is. I think they must have put a lot of effort to make it this short <laughs> but, um, yeah there's the line which is often attributed to Churchill although it could be to Lincoln or anybody but uh, where he said um I apologize for delivering such a long speech. I didn't have time to write a shorter one, um, which could have been anybody. It was probably Tom Sawyer or something. I, I don't know, but- um, Yeah, I know it from Voltaire. <laughs> yeah, Voltaire then, there you go. Voltaire, writing to, to Frederick the Great. Um, sorry for, for writing so long. I didn't have time to make it shorter, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they're perfect. And, and they were, they're, it probably was Voltaire. That sounds better than Churchill at least. But, um, it, you know, it's true. You know, four or five slide decks, the thought, what's been in there, having to, to kill your darlings and cull all the excessive and useless information out of that and just keep it to those four or five is... Yeah, in, in the end, it's what you make of it. That's the really interesting part about strategy. So maybe the strategy itself might sound a bit too simplistic, but when you see what you can do with it, um, it, 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 it might be the, the, the right way to do it. So it doesn't need any explanation. If you need too much explanation, it might be an indication that um, it's probably not that um, sound, yeah. you know? And it's interesting to look, um, if you see companies doing strategies for themselves, so they don't really have to put a price tag on it, it's just something they, they will work with. Um, it tends to be much more simple like I once worked for Barclay Car, that's ages ago, and it was for um, loans, private loans. Mm -hmm. And um, the direction you are usually heading is we can't sell just money, it's about dreams, wishes, all that stuff. And they were like, no, <clears throat> we exactly know why people apply for a loan. They apply for a loan because they ran out of money and then their car broke down they need a new washing machine, they are self-employed and um, the client didn't pay them. Mm -hmm. Very simple stuff like that. And um, if you talk about um, like, hey, it's FIFA time, do you want a new TV? And you're, and you're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? My car just broke down. I don't know how to go to work and I'm self-employed. My, my bank won't give me a loan. So that's, counter is there a word like this counterproductive 
<clears throat> yeah. You send mm -hmm. a message and the guy's like, what are you talking about? So they forced us to be very, very straight and simple and say, okay, you don't have to be explicit. You don't have to say um, you are self-employed and don't get any money from your bank, but give him a key that you are talking about him or her. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. he knows what situation he's in. I'm always no. saying he, I should be more she, but... Um, but not not <laughs> everything them. needs that higher purpose, does it? And I think sometimes ad agencies and strategists and even creatives are sort of obsessed with moving up the benefit ladder so that we can find this higher purpose for everything. Um, you know, in loans, it has to be about um, joy to your life or allowing you the holiday of your dreams and, and X, Y, and Z. But actually, like you said, sometimes you just need to get to work because without being able to go to work, there's no money coming in and you have bigger problems. Um, and really crisp, clear strategic thinking like that. I love that. And I, I I love when I go in somewhere and they show me last year's strategy or the year before, and they give me 60, 80, 90, 200 pages. I'm like, I know I can do a job here. <laughs> that's, that's where I say, yes, I <laughs> yeah, know I'm gonna do well here. Another example would be um, Oldly. Oldly, um, historically, they are around for, since the 90s. And they started, um, as a way to, to use, it came from two directions. They had a lot of oat in Sweden. Mm -hmm. um, they canceled public funding for oat farmers. And um, it's a thing, it grows under harsh conditions, but there's not much you can do with it. You can feed it to horses right. or make porridge, but that's about it. So they um, had to find a way to make money with oat. And then came this uh, scientist, I can't remember his name. And he was like, um, I have an idea. I know how to make a drink out of oat. So and this is how they got started. And they had the product, but they didn't have um, a strategy. Mm -hmm. They had just had the execution and they were like, okay, what, what can we use it for? Can it be a fitness drink? Can it be some low calorie milk substitute? And then there we have it, milk substitute. But they didn't explicitly say, um, in case you don't want or cannot drink milk, here's mm -hmm. your alternative. They didn't do that till so they changed the management. And then um, there's actually a, a lot of information and a lot of choices in this very simple sentence. Um, it's like milk, but made for humans. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of great it's, things. It's, it's really simple. It's so simple, they didn't, they struggled to get a trademark for it because in court, um, they said, God, it's, it's so bloody obvious. How do you, why do you think it's worth protecting? And, um, <clears throat> but the thing is, as soon as you name it milk, mm -hmm. you have, um, you don't have to establish a new habit. Like I have a new fancy drink, drink this. Yeah. You, you change an existing habit. Um, you have a category, which is dairy. Dairy is a really nice category because um, in any supermarket, it's uh, the category with the highest profitability. So um, that works for the, for the retailers as well. And um, you have the opportunity to talk about um, not everybody can digest milk. It's a huge market. Most people don't know, but it's, uh, I think it's 10, 15% of the population. And um, so 
this is a very clear strategy. You have a reason, even if you have no digestive problems, you might have uh, other issues like I want to save the planet, I'm vegan, there's all kinds of stuff, mm -hmm. stuff going on. So as soon as you clearly state, this is competing with milk, you have the product, you have the category, you have the placement in the supermarket. You even have a, um, a rollout strategy if, you, if you're doing your international rollout because we are talking about markets with a strong dairy category, which would be Northern Europe, UK, um, the US. Yeah. Now they are expanding to China because it's so big, but um, <clears throat> it's so much easier to tell people if you like to drink milk and we know you do try this yeah it's so much harder to say okay you don't drink milk anyway because in, in asia it's I, I think it's 60 percent of the population who can't really digest milk so there's no habit to consume dairy products mm -hmm. that's much harder to, to to enter this market they do it via starbucks like they did in the us but so it's to come back to the it's milk but made for humans it sounds very simple, but they made some very important choices to say it's not a fitness drink. It's not, it's like porridge, but made for drinking. Yeah. It's milk. So, and after that, they, they have a direction for their promotion, attack milk. And then there's this, uh, the, the, the other chart that's pretty famous with, um, that's a matrix with good versus evil. And the other uh, axis is uh, scared shitless <laughs> versus fucking fearless. <laughs> and <clears throat> what they did is they directly attacked milk dairy farmers. They get, got sued for it in Sweden and by the EU for being um, yeah, uh, misleading to consumers. Um, and that's actually a strategy they got lots of media coverage for that. And they repeated exactly the same thing when they launched in the UK and then another time in the US. So there you have your, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's three of the four Ps. You have the product, you have the place, which is your distribution, you have a promotion strategy. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you might do some further analysis like who will buy it, who's our buyer persona. That's that's really details. I wouldn't start with that if I were only. And they didn't do it because they they didn't have to put a price tag on this. Yeah, Woolcraft didn't have to make a one hundred pages strategy presentation for a CEO to be like, yeah, okay, you're worth your money. So now mm -hmm. go ahead with the creative ideas. There is an element to that, and I want to come back to kind of Oatly and other examples of different brands in a moment. But I think for any consultants or, or freelancers listening, there, there is a real, I'd almost call it bravery and maybe bravery is over, overcooking it a little bit, but being brave enough to present just enough information. Like you said, you know, sometimes there is often a pressure to when you're charging a fee to present lots of work to show that you have done the work for the money that they've given you, that you're being paid. And actually, it's, it's really brave to take, I think, was it Vedan Kennedy, you said to, to, to just present four pages, there's a real, I think, yeah, no, bravery is right. There's a real bravery to go into a presentation where you, you are pitching from big money or you're, you're presenting work that you've charged a lot for and to say, right, okay, here's four slides. 
There's a bravery in yeah, that. Yeah, but there's, there's some tricks you can actually avoid having it in your main presentation. Wheaton and Kennedy had, a, had an appendix, which was pretty mm -hmm. long and yeah. all small print just to prove that there's been a lot of thinking going in, into this. And, and uh, we really talked about all the details, but you'll find them read it at home yeah <laughs> and another uh, uh tactic would be um you make this big presentation and then you take 90 percent of it and just show okay we have it mm -hmm. <laughs> we've done the work but right now we are just going to talk about these four slides and then uh, yeah. creative stuff so you can you have a proof of work and um, um or proof of effort and then the other things Oh, you've destroyed it for me now. I'm just going to present four pages from here on. <laughs> yeah, but that's Harry actually... said four pages is fine. <laughs> no, it's um, another example is um, here we, we are talking about personas. Old Spice is very simple. It's mm -hmm. um, they have one insight and they they have it right in the TVC when he's addressing the audience. He's hello, ladies. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, and it's a very simple insight. It's men don't buy their own body wash. Yeah. Cool. So they either use uh, their wife's body wash mm -hmm. or their wives buy it. Yeah. So that's where you... So, and it's, it's again, it's a very simple insight, yeah. but um, I think it's the first sentence. Hey, ladies, if you don't want to want your man to smell like lady scented body wash. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they, it's like, uh, right out of the strategy playbook, and it doesn't have to be more complicated. And in this case, it really makes sense to, to use a persona to see, okay, who's using it, who's buying it. And I don't have to, do I need a pen portrait? Do I need to know um, the favorite color, <laughs> her favorite movie, all the stuff that goes into pen portraits? I, I hear that. Probably not, because it's too diverse. But yes. I, I love I love a pen portrait, I, lo I love persona work, but my, my absolute red line in this is that if it's not useful information, it doesn't go in. I don't care what their favorite color is or, um, you know, how many times a week they go to a, a body pump class, unless, of course, it's for, for body pump. Um, you know, I, their gym membership is of no interest to me. It's useful information that, that needs to go in there. Um, yeah, but I think that the one issue I have with a pen portrait is um, you really get a good impression. It's almost like a like a real life person, but the problem is um, you exclude all the other persons. If it is too explicit, like you know what watch someone is wearing, brand of shoes, how he spent or she spends her holidays and all the stuff like that, it excludes other people. It's like, okay, if he wears this watch, he won't wear another one. If he's driving this car, <laughs> it's not the other car. Yeah. And that might be a problem. So, yeah, and and very often it's just made up. So um, if you look at these pen portraits, it's something like um, a strategist in their mid twenties um, has to write a pen portrait about someone my age probably. And he's like, okay, how would I like to be when I'm 50 years old? A projection. I'd like to have a, a, a cool place in London. I'd like to drive this car, this watch, this all the things I 
can't afford today. And all this goes into this pen portrait. And then you have this really cool guy who's writing with a Mont Blanc for a thousand bucks, all that stuff. And it's most of the time it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. Made up nonsense, no, and that and that and I would say a bad pen portrait is, is terrible. You know, um, I, I think good ones, but I could probably say I've maybe only ever seen two good ones in twenty-ish years of of being in marketing. I, I can think of two that I remember seeing and going, "This is really good work," um, and the rest of them have been hmm. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so yeah, it, it, it's not a, not a, not a discipline that covers itself in glory. Let's put it that way. But um, yeah, yeah, but nonetheless, you you do it a lot in in UX when you have to um, you have to work with the consumer journey. Let's say if someone mm-hmm. wants to book a journey, uh, the holiday, then you need. But you don't need to have details about the person. You have to uh, have have to think about um, what situation someone is in what's uh, the, the decision process and you have to be honest mm-hmm. and uh, when you are honest it, it's um, also like yeah 100 people see the front page don't want don't find what they are looking for and 95 percent are gone yeah <laughs> that's but... also part of a journey and that's why i don't like the the funnel because a, a funnel um a funnel assumes you put 100 people in and get 100 people out, like in the kitchen, but it's yep. not the case. You're losing 99% along the way. And, so, and the interesting thing is, um, what, what do you do with the 99%? Do you yeah. focus on the 1% or no? So, so it can be useful, but I think for, for general advertising, it's yeah. a bit too much. I, see, I, I like funnels as a concept in that they can, especially when you're working with non-marketers, it's a very simple concept that can help them understand that people go through different stages when they get there. So certainly for board presentations and things like that, and especially because they, they seem to live, uh, you know, they, they, they can't, doesn't matter how many times people try and kill the funnel, it won't die and it still makes it into MBAs and, and various things. So it's a concept that people seem to have a little bit of knowledge of. So it's a something you can hang your hat on and then you can talk them through how that, how that works in their organization. So, but, but I do like to, to customize it to their customer journey a little bit, but it, you know, the sort of broad concept of, look, we, we start here and then, and end here as we move people through. Um, but yeah, they're, they're far from perfect, far from perfect. And, um, but, but I'm totally with you. It's, a nice, nice uh, tool to work with, but it always depends what you're doing with it. And um, just to come back to only like, um, what's the funnel? The funnel is uh, most people buy milk, so you have uh, 100, nearly 100% of the population. Some people actually do some research on the internet about milk. You can see that in, in Google Trends when you see the mm-hmm. search volume, and some even research about Oatly. You can see that as well. So, but then there's a break and um, they're watching TV, they go to work, all that stuff. So that there's a really, (laughs) there's a break and then they go shopping and then they might think about milk 
maybe not. Yeah. So you can use the funnel, but you have to be really precise and you have to be honest. Yeah. People do some research, but it's not like I start with milk, I find Oatly, and then I go to the, to the supermarket and buy it. Most mm -hmm. people don't. They don't think about it until they are mm -hmm. right in front of the shelf and are like, okay, what else do I need? Ah, milk. Yeah. It's a very low and involved purchase, isn't it? It's a pick it up, put it in the basket and, and on to yeah, the next and, thing. Yeah. And Oli found a solution for that problem as well. Um, they, they have a premium line that needs cooling. So it's placed in the dairy shelf right next to the milk. That's the reason why you want to have uh, mm -hmm. cooled products. Yeah, so they go I into... don't know how it's like in the UK, but in, in, in Germany, that we have a, uh, a corner in the supermarket where, where we have, uh, um, how is it called, um, Haarmilch, a milk that doesn't need any cooling. Oh, uh, yeah, like UHT, ultra long life milk and things like that. Yeah, yeah. long life milk and all that stuff. That's really low interest. <laughs> yeah. And you, you usually find that margarine, um, long life milk, all that stuff. And this would normally be the place where you look for, for oat milk or any other stuff. So they, they worked hard to get into the dairy shelf because it has the, the highest uh, profitability of, of any shelf, mm -hmm. followed by frozen food and meat, I guess. But, yeah. um, so it's also one of, I haven't done much with supermarkets for a few years, but the dairy aisle is also one of the highest footfall areas of a supermarket as well, isn't it? I think because it, it's the one thing people come and get in there if they shop weekly they go to that aisle always if they're coming in just for a few items it's usually the dairy aisle because it has a lifespan and you have to keep replacing it regularly so it's one of the highest footfall areas in supermarkets i think but like, this is a few years ago when i saw that research so no it's but it's, it's still the case and and um i don't know the the, the exact numbers but it's the most profitable category of, of, of anything in a supermarket because yeah everybody buys something there that may be cheese milk mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah and you can can see it we have a very strong habit um, of, of dairy consumption so every everybody's going to be there and uh, yeah this is profitability is, is uh, how they calculate what's what's going on the shelf and what's not Mm -hmm. It's not margin or stuff like that. It's yeah. uh, you can live with a very low margin if it's if a product has a very high turnover. Yeah, the profit may be higher, and the margin doesn't really matter so much because um, when you have to pay for your products, you it's uh, you usually have sold them anyway. Yeah, so it's just cash in, cash out. So yeah. Ah, ah, well, look, you, you mentioned a few things about uh, honesty in the last few minutes, and we've talked. You've mentioned cars a few times in some of your answers, which I'm going to use as a nice little segue into talk about the automotive sector, um, and particularly through maybe the lens of brand promise or brand purpose and things like that. Because I, I think you have some some good thoughts on how companies maybe set these things up in strategic sessions. Maybe you know we have a great brand purpose, but how that actually works on the ground when it's executed um do you want to talk about that in any way and, and share some yeah I, I think i won't mention the brand <laughs> so that's I can okay be more, more open about what, what we did there um the project was um 
an evaluation and optimization of a, of a partner marketing program, which means uh, marketing directed towards the retailers um, on behalf of these retailers and some stuff retailers can use for their end consumers. So that's the, the, the context. And what we did is we looked into everything they did, which was quite complex because you have uh, different audiences and different um, activities going on. And um, <clears throat> it was all about aftermarket sales and service, mm -hmm. which is where they make their money. Yeah. And it used to be printing money when you were tied to your um, 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 original parts and stuff like that. But you, yeah. EU regulation changed that. So it's, it's basically a free market. And uh, now you have competition and you want to get this piece of the cake which yeah. is where you now like i said where you're actually on your money it's aftermarket it's service and inspection all this stuff mm -hmm. and um <clears throat> this certain client uh, was uh, commercial vehicles so they have a little different um different audience it's like people using cars professionally which means you use them to carry fish from a to b mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh yeah, it started out as a project where we um, did the evaluation and then we were at a point where we said, okay, we have to talk to the retailers, we have to talk to your sales reps and um, to get an idea of what they are doing, um, what their uh, customers expect from them, all that stuff. And um, we also did some in-person interviews with uh, some key retailers and one was like, okay, um, let let me start with a story and when then you can do your interview and he told the story about a, a, a customer who had a, a custom built car with a how do you say cool box yeah yeah like a refrigerated a re refrigerated yeah. truck mm -hmm. and um, <clears throat> he was he had like two tons of fish let's say and um, <laughs> his car broke down so mm -hmm. he had two problems my car broke down and what about the fish <laughs> yeah. and he was close to the to the factory so he was like yeah good luck i'm driving to the factory and they wouldn't help him because it was a custom built car right and uh or custom built vehicle and um so he had to call a competitor they showed up within 10 minutes um they had a, a replacement uh, vehicle with a cool box and they told him to hamburg to have it uh, have his car repaired and the the retailer was like okay what am I going to tell to my customers if this is your idea of service? This is uh, the re reality and there's no way uh, advertising can do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and yeah, and that, <laughs> talking about honesty, yeah. um, it was, um, and, and bravery, um, that went into the presentation. <laughs> Of course, yeah. And um, some of the guys in the presentation already knew the story. Mm -hmm. They were with us at, uh, at, um, on the interview and um, some really went mad, like, can it be blah, blah, blah. So yeah. it's <clears throat> sometimes you have to, to accept that you can't change the world with advertising alone. There has to be, if you have a brand promise, like mm -hmm. we have the best service for your commercial vehicle, you have to deliver. Yeah. And um, especially when you have a com competitor who does exactly that, he, yeah. who designs the 
complete thing around the needs of, of his commercial clients. And usually the, the special situation when you have a commercial vehicle is not, um, they don't really break down. You don't really have accidents or stuff like that. But the problem is um, if you have, it's not the car that's the problem. It's what's inside the car or the vehicle. It's fish, it's meat, it's um, sometimes you have a, a special build. If you are a plumber, for example, you have mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff in there shelves um sometimes a generator for electricity yeah, all yeah. that stuff so <laughs> if you have a replacement car that doesn't have all this you simply cannot work yeah and, <laughs> and, and that's, that's a bigger impact yeah yeah and so this is um this is something um and advertising only makes it worse because you give a promise and people mm -hmm. know the reality they walk up to the next retailer and they see okay um it's not 24 hour seven seven days a week it's like um they have a midday break yeah. they, they still have it in southern germany northern northern germany not that much but it happens that you walk to a shop in southern germany and it's yeah. closed <laughs> oh dear it's 2021 <laughs> you get away with that <laughs> yeah um, do you think that this is a problem in bigger companies because that there's such a a gap between where the strategy is made and how it's delivered. And in, in any big company, when you have tens of thousands of employees or franchises and partnerships and things like that, it's difficult to embed that purpose throughout the business. Or is it just that nobody talks through the organization? Is it an operational thing? Or is it just that the strategy and these, these things are done somewhere by people who never get their hands dirty? I think it's, um, yeah, sometimes it might be silos. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it might be um, just a bad strategy in a sense. Um, you don't face reality. You just make things up. So you, you take the product and there's <laughs> no way this is, um, oh, no, let's start another way. Um, it's like you don't have to make all these bold claims, but you like to make it, make them. Mm -hmm. You re really want these claims on your advertising. Maybe it's the agency, maybe it's the client um, themselves. And there's no need to make them, but as soon as they are out there, people start to take them seriously and they look at the product and see, mm -hmm. oh, that's. So, and. Um, I think you always have to have this in mind. Is this really the best product? Can it deliver on this promise? Yeah. Or can we find another way to, to, to sell it? Yeah. And that's it. I think that, that, and we're back to where we started. Strategy and execution have to work hand in hand. Because if, if they're not, you start making promises that the organization can never deliver. And as you said, advertising just makes it worse because you make, keep making the promise and you keep failing to deliver it. So you actually perpetuate the issue. Um, so yeah, I, I look, I think we, we've come full circle there and got back to the beginning, which seems like a, a good point. If, you, if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, which I, I know some people do, um, you'll probably notice two things. Firstly, um, we're both wearing a tie. I rarely <laughs> wear a tie, rarely seen in a tie. Um, but when you read Aris's bio on the, um, 
and, and the show notes, you'll see that he never leaves home without a tie. So I thought I'd better in, in, improve yeah, my standards. It, it changed during, during pandemic. It changed yeah. a bit, but yeah. Usually not. <laughs> um, so, so I thought I'd, I'd smarten up a little bit for today. But the, the second thing you'll notice is that Aris has one of the most amazing um, book collections and bookshelves behind him. Now, part of the reason is that I think you came into into advertising and marketing uh, through a very different route, maybe to, to what the classic route could be. So uh, can we talk about your background and, and maybe that'll explain why the bookshelves are, are full of um, amazing things? So yeah, first of all, these are not all mine. <laughs> <laughs> Take the credit. <laughs> mine are actually a bit further down. Um, and there are some over there as well. So yeah, my, um, it's, it's, it's a, a long story. I, I, um, when I finished school, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't have to go to the army because of some health issues. And so I had to make a, a quick decision. And uh, um <clears throat> At that time, uh, I thought it was a good idea to, to, to study classical guitars, become a soloist. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> after some years, I realized um, this will not work. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrible realization, isn't it? It's like, uh, yeah, it's even worse than uh, aspiring to, to, to become a famous footballer because, yeah, you, you know, there are 20 teams with 20 players, so it's mm -hmm. 400 in the Premier League. Uh, classical guitar, most people couldn't, couldn't even name one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I, I've always been interested in, in, in photography and stuff like that. So I, I um, decided to change paths and um, I started at a, a small publishing house in Hamburg as a photographer. And then they realized, oh, we might be able to teach him some writing. So we going to save some money when we sent me somewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, I did that for some years and it was a really small place with magazines, mostly about um, sports like skateboarding, snowboarding and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was a lot of room for experimentation. So I started to do some art direction and um, the, the last position I had was editor in chief and art director. And from that on, um, I moved to Universal with a colleague, um, did still editorial stuff, but online. So that's um, when I came in, in contact with uh, computers and online professionally. Mm -hmm. I've used them before, but so, and uh, yeah, after that, I, Universal moved to Berlin. I didn't want to move uh, to Berlin, so I stayed in Hamburg and uh, switched again and was looking for a job. And I was like, okay, why not try advertising? <laughs> and um, my first agency or the first agency I worked for um, had some uh, B2B clients. We were doing a lot of magazines, but also classical advertising. So I, I started with the editorial stuff mm -hmm. where I came from and then um, moved towards classical copywriting and, and uh, I was, I, I've always been the, the, the type of guy to, to ask all these why questions. So if you have a brief, I was always like, um, okay, and don't tell me the task, tell me what we want to achieve so we might find a, a better way. So, and then, yeah, this is how I, um, the things evolved into strategy. And 
next stage was um, digital stuff. And that's, um, that was at an agency that didn't really have a strategy department. So you had to be your own strategist. And uh, when you're doing um, like websites, platforms, um, integrated campaigns, mm -hmm. things become more and more complicated. And that's how I really um, started to do strategy first for myself, because I needed some kind of plan to, to, to do my job. And then uh, it became more and more strategy focus, but I still did a lot of UX stuff, like doing all the consumer journeys. And, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, so that's that's my background. And that, that different background, you know, classical guitar is, is you're probably the first person I've met who've, who've studied classic guitar, and you also studied uh, English and German literature as well. Did, did that that sort of different background into working in strategy and advertising do you think that that helped give you a different perspective to maybe somebody who's just come up through the agency model yeah i think <clears throat> you i really did learn some things for for my, my second life so to say um you learn a lot about professionalism and the cult of genius <laughs> um and you, you become very humble if you work with uh, professional musicians it's all about it's some talent of course but it's a lot of hard work mm -hmm. and it's a, a different approach to this um genius versus um professionalism workmanship all that stuff so it's not about um doing something till you get it right it's doing something till you can't get it wrong it's not how it's not the i'm having a good day and i'm doing brilliant stuff that's a bit of luck involved um it's i'm having a bad day and i'm still doing okay <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah love it so and yeah that's one thing and yeah and you you're becoming more humble i've, I've met a lot of great musicians like leonard bernstein and um you, it's not that easy you, you don't call people you don't you are not that um how do you say it's it's not that easy to to call something brilliant or genius or something if you met leonard bernstein so you know this is a genius <laughs> and then what we do is advertising <laughs> 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 uh, that's the clip but, I'm using actually, in the promotion. In Lübeck, they have a summer <laughs> university um, at the uh, uh, College of Music, mm -hmm. and uh, everybody eats together. So that's where I met him. And yeah, he came with his tray, and he was like, "Is this place free?" Okay, I'm Leonard. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. I, honestly, that's been used in a promo. It's hard to call it. <laughs> this is just advertising when you. And another thing you learn is uh, the, the better people are at what they do, the more humble they are. They are always nice people. So the mad genius uh, throwing things, screaming around, that's really rare. Yeah. Uh, I've met it one, once, twice, maybe, but not really. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, we, we, we're coming towards the the end of the uh, of the interview, Ari. So, which which brings us to the usual questions. Now, I know you you have um, there's a number of books that, that you've talked about, and we, we've got a, a list in the in the show notes of great books that people should look at. What 
one or two from, from that list of books that you would recommend are kind of the ones that you always come back to. What are your favorites from that? Um, it's two very old fashioned. It's more about the guys than about the books. It's mm -hmm. uh, Ogilvy and Gossage because yeah. they were so different. And um, I, I think when you read something about advertising, um, you'll notice after the third or fourth book, it's more or less always the same. So <laughs> <laughs> if you've read um, Ogilvy or Gossage, Gossage is a bit different because it's not the typical advertising guy. Yeah. Um, but you learn a lot about advertising. It's really old school. It's uh, way before the internet, but it's very interesting. And Gossage, for example, was a pretty honest guy. He did uh, advertising for petrol stations. He, he was like, what do you expect me to do? Uh, <laughs> people see the ad and they drive miles to buy your petrol, which is exactly like the petrol they get anywhere else. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty interesting. And I, I think I always recommend these because uh, they are at least better written than most of what you can find today. And then there's, uh, just in case you can't find uh, uh, the book of Gossage, um, there's a book by Steve Harrison about Gossage. So that's, that's uh, really yeah. interesting too. And I th I think you can watch Madman. Madman teaches a lot about advertising because all the, the cases they show, it's real advertising from GDB. Interestingly, most of the campaigns they show and they are, that are assigned to Don Draper are actually created by women. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, it's, it, it, it's true, isn't it? That there's a lot of women, a lot more women involved in advertising in, in the past was, than you would have. Back then in the 60s, it was uh, among copywriters, I, I guess it was 50%. Dave Dye has a series about the, the woman who built DDB mm -hmm. and all the stuff um, you see in Mad Men. It's, it's real campaigns made by DDB and created by female copywriters. Yeah. We'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, because I think you've shared some of the things on, on LinkedIn before for that. I, so. I'll send you the link to yeah, today's. Cool. So if, you, if you're listening, check the show notes uh, wherever you're listening, and there'll be links to all these in there that you can um, that you can click and have a have a read around. Um, I, I do like it when, when we get classic books and older books uh, as recommendations, because I think sometimes there's a lot of talk of um, the world's changing, marketing's changing, advertising's changing. But when you study it, a lot of it's still broadly the same, right? Maybe some some of the, the tactical implementations have changed, but the, the principles of the discipline are, are the same as they were as as they ever were. I think. Yeah, the, the, it changes a bit, but um, I think the yeah, as you said, it uh, the 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 principles are more or less uh, the same, and. Um, yeah, you, you have to sell the, the new stuff. So let's write a book. And, uh, but <laughs> yeah. in a way, if you've, if you've read um, Ogilvy or some other stuff, and this, this is really true for, for most of the stuff that's written about advertising, most of the books are quite okay. And you get the picture how it works. And um, yeah, if you like, read something about MySpace or TikTok or Foursquare. Um, <laughs> all square and MySpace. <laughs> and for the younger <laughs> listeners, you'll have to ask your granddad what they are. I remember all of them. Like you read about <laughs> TikTok today and it's gone tomorrow. So, yeah. uh, but the principle is the same. Still so. the same. Still the same. Great stuff. And look, one last question for you, Aris. Um, question I ask everybody. What one question do you usually get asked that I haven't asked you today? Uh. 
can't think of any. <laughs> I'd say it usually means I've done such a we've done such a superb job with the interview and the discussion that, that we've covered all the graphs. So you sent me this question actually, and I thought about it, and I was like, oh, it, it would be unfair to, to come up with a question you didn't ask before <laughs> we did the, the podcast. So no, I <laughs> no, on the no. top of my head. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a problem. No problem. So and. Where's the best place for people who want to get in touch with you or, or follow you? Is it LinkedIn? Is that the best place to yeah, find you? Yeah, that, that would be LinkedIn. I don't have a website. I don't. I have some other profiles, but on, on Facebook, I only share dog photos with other owners of cocker spaniels. So, <laughs> <laughs> and listen, uh, and it's everything a... private. I, I think I would, wouldn't even find me on, on Facebook. Yeah. So yeah, it's only it's mainly LinkedIn. Listen, you'll, what you'll probably get now is a lot of LinkedIn requests with people asking, can I follow you on Facebook to see the Cocker Spaniel pictures? Yeah, I've, I've been actually, I've been quite inactive for a while because, um, yeah, my dog had some health issues and I got a little bit bored with it. So, um, but I'm post more frequently in the, in the future. Brilliant. And there's a link again to Aris's um, uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Click on that. And, and as I say, it's um, I, I love the insight. I love the thoughts and I, I love the the discussion and the debate that you generate, which all comes from a great place, which you can't say about everybody on LinkedIn. So I uh, thank you for that. And I look forward to engaging in the future on, on LinkedIn and, uh, and hopefully in person one day as well. Yeah. Great stuff. Aris, thank you very much for, for coming on the Thank you for having me. And um, we shall hopefully meet again at some point in the future. Yep. That will be nice. <laughs>